Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. I have two daughters and three grandchildren, and none of them were born selfless. In fact, none of us were either. We're born self-consumed. I don't mean that in an evil way. An infant didn't know any better. We're born with, with this concept of feed me, clothe me, keep me warm, keep me comfortable. And if I'm not any of those things, I'm going to let you know about it. Um, we are not born to share. It's just not natural. We have to be taught to share. Um, some of the most valuable teaching any parent can do is as early as they can in the process, teach their children that life's not about just them, that they have to share and have to, there's give and take. Some of the, the most valuable teaching the Lord could do in this room today is for us to see the value in sharing forgiveness with, other, with others around us because it's not natural. It has to be learned behavior. We're, we're, we love forgiveness and live in its, bask in its glory and bask in its, in, in its goodness for us but many of us aren't willing to share that same forgiveness that's been poured into us. I want us to see from this text today in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, and we'll see how, uh, how many things we can glean from this text today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. To some extent, not to put it too severely. This punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Let's glean four things today from this text. The first of which is this. Shared forgiveness is for a shared grievance. For a shared grievance. Look at 5 and 6 again. If anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. Not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth about a situation inside the church that tells them that forgiveness, and tells them in the process here that forgiveness is the way forward. Sometimes a hurtful act or event, um, whether it's intentional or, or, or not, will and can consume a church body, can, can consume a local fellowship, and paralyze our, our actions and consume our thoughts. So Paul's telling them here in verse 6 that everybody has suffered enough over this, uh, let's move on. It's time to turn the page and move on. Earlier this week, um, Josh Heifel was being interviewed about his quarterback, Hendon Hooker, and he asked, what's his, what's his greatest attribute in your, in your, uh, uh, according to your thoughts? He says his greatest attribute is his ability to forget the last play and move on to the next play. If the last play was not what it should have been, didn't, wasn't executed properly, he can flush that and move on to the next thing better than anybody, any quarterback I've ever seen. 
That's why it's counsel for you and I. We can learn to flush and forget the things in our life, that, the, the failures that we've been a part of, and that we continue to, to allow the enemy to hang over our backs that we're still carrying around years and sometimes decades later. We can learn to let that go and flush those and forget those things. Life is going to be a lot better for us. Uh, sometimes it's easier said than done. But our choosing to, to, to uh, and, and it is a choice, our choosing to hang on to those things is our own choice. And it, it, it does nothing but magnify the hurt when we, when we do that. Um, I've done a decent amount of marriage counseling with people, several folks, over the years. And if you'll ask any of them, they'll tell you that I've told them in resolving conflict, two things you need to do is to shorten the memory and lengthen the fuse. What I mean by that is shorten the memory of the, of the things that we keep dredging back up. And another thing, last week you said, forget that, shorten the memory, and then lengthen the fuse, lengthen the, the time and space it takes for us to get upset about something. Is this significant enough that I should be getting upset, upset over it in the first place? We can shorten the memory and lengthen the fuse. Our marriage relationships, at least the conflict in them, goes better. That's why it's counsel to the church as well, that Paul is saying here. It's, uh, in essence, let go. Let that go. Stop carrying that around. It, 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 it is a shared grievance because you've chosen for it to be. Learn to let it go. Second thing is this. Shared forgiveness not only is for a shared grievance, but it, it is for a shared sorrow. Look at verse 7. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Forgive and comfort him so that he'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He tells, telling them, them there and us today in verse 7 to forgive and comfort, not so that we can just check that box and move on to the next thing. It's deeper than that. It's, it's, he talks about here that we'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Someone who is overwhelmed by something gets up in the morning, that's the first thing on their mind, goes to bed at night, that's the last thing on their mind. It consumes them. He's saying you're, you're allowing yourself to be consumed by that and bringing about, as a result of that consumption, excessive sorrow. They can't get away from it. We can't either. As an emotion, sorrow is more, one of the more consequential emotions we can have because it ripples into every... It doesn't just keep to itself. It's a, it's, it is a state of mind, and it ripples into every, every part of our life. It creeps into our bodies, into our health. Uh, stress, doctors are saying more and more now, that stress is one of the greater causes of anxiety, depression, heart disease. Uh, obesity, that, uh, that stress is, is a part of that, and sorrow is, a, is a, certainly a contributor to stress. It, it interferes with our relationships, our marriages. It interferes with our jobs, the way we work, the way we see ourselves, how we value what we do. And it appears in this case that the grievance couldn't be corrected. So the only antidote Paul is saying here for sorrow, and the best antidote, is forgiveness. Forgive that so that you're not carrying sorrow around it's not just an acknowledgement that says you're forgiven either. I want you to see that. But he goes further. He talks about bringing comfort here, meaning that it's forgiveness that results in restoration for everybody involved. Not just says, okay, you're forgiven. Now go on and don't do this anymore. But someone who's engaged in forgiveness and wants, seeks to restore the relationship, not just forgive the person for what they've done, but the sorrow that they brought in, onto themselves and into the church. Uh, it's, it's, it gets everybody involved. It is for a shared forgiveness, a shared sorrow. Thirdly, shared forgiveness is for a shared love, for a shared love. Look at verse 8. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Reaffirm your love for him. 
at its core, any kind of forgiveness that is not motivated by love is not going to go very far. In fact, I would submit to you, it's not really forgiveness at all. It's a token, something token to make us feel better about ourselves oftentimes. It's not forgiveness. As I just said, real forgiveness looks like restoration. And you can't experience restoration without love. Restorative forgiveness doesn't just ask the person if they need anything. Restorative forgiveness anticipates what they need and steps into it before it's ever known, before it's ever given voice to. It anticipates those things ahead of time. Also, you'll notice he talks about here, this isn't just a one-to-one thing. It's an us-to-them thing. If multiple folks have been hurt and forgiven, it is the job of multiple folks to learn to forgive and love. That's what restorative forgiveness looks like. That's what shared love looks like. First Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. You're familiar with it. Look with me, if you will, at verses 4 and 5. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs, meaning, as I was talking about, Hendon Hooker's ability to forget the last play and move on to the next. Let that go. Let the past go. Uh, Restorative forgiveness doesn't keep score doesn't hold on to something, doesn't carry it around, uh, looking for an opportunity to say, now, and another thing, I got you again, uh, or, or I'll forgive you if, or I'll forgive you when, just that I'll forgive you because uh, I'm, I'm, my love for you motivates me to do that. Uh, John fifteen fifteen says, no, there's no greater love than this than one lay down his life for his friends. It's, I think it, it, it dovetails with, with, with verse 8 here for sure in, in, in saying that love should be our motivator always to forgiveness. Some would say, but you don't, you don't know how deeply I've been hurt. You don't know how deeply that bothered me. It, it, it shook me to the core. No, I don't know that. But I do know, I do know how deeply you've been forgiven. I know how deeply your, your sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus again and again and again and again. I do know that. So that is deeper than your hurt, and that is more lasting than, than your, your inability to forgive um, because he is faithful to forgive again and again and again, and he calls us to be as well, motivated, as I say again, by love. Shared forgiveness is for a shared grievance, for a shared sorrow, for a shared love, but finally, it is for a shared victory. Look at verse 11 with me. In order that Satan might not outwit us, he says, therefore we are not unaware of his schemes in order that Satan might not outwit us. Here's a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but ask yourself this. You think Satan is more, more at work in the church or in culture? Up to about 25 years or so ago, I would say it's in the church. In my opinion, to the tune of probably 70% in the church to 30% in the culture. I think that's at least 50-50 now, if not greater in the culture than in church. And here's why. I don't think he's working the church as badly as, and as deeply as he used to be, as I think he has outwitted us. I think he has caused uh, churches to believe the lie that we are a bunch of judgmental, uh, we're a bunch of offensive elitists who need to calm down, who need to sit down, and who need to pop down. And I think we believe that. I think we believe the lie that says, 
if you open your mouth, you're going to offend someone in our culture. So let's love them to Jesus. Yes, let's love them to Jesus. But sooner or later, that love's going to have to have some truth revealed to it too. And that's, it's hard to walk that balance between, as Jesus said perfectly, between, between being full of grace and full of truth. But that's what he calls us to. We are not, uh, yes, there, there are probably a, re- a few folks that are judgmental and are elitists and are offensive and all those things. But we are not called to calm down, to sit down and to pop down. We are called to stand up for him. Uh, the rest of us need to be reminded that we are the voice of truth for the world. The church needs to be reminded that we're examples of what true love looks like, that we are the bride of Christ, and that the gates of hell will not and cannot prevail against the church. Scripture says that about us. We need to stop being a farce and stop, start being a force for our culture. And I wonder, because of the fact that we're losing influence uh, to a greater degree now than we've had in the past, I wonder uh, how we walk this out in victory. I wonder how we reclaim the victory again uh, for, for the kingdom uh, in church after church after church and what that looks like. Look at the last line of verse 11 as to why we do that. Uh, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of his schemes. In essence, to say we need to be awake of what he's doing. We talked about that several weeks ago. And we need to be aware of what he's up to because our war that we wage is not against each other in the church. It's against our enemy, the devil. Last uh, series we talked about suiting up and, and walking in truth and walking in our ability to, to, to be armed to come against the devil's schemes. I think that's what he's speaking to here in verse 11, in, in order that Satan might not, might not outwit us. He has out, outwitted us uh, to a great degree, I think, in the kingdom. And, and it's time that we see that, that we recognize it, and come against him for it and stand together as the body as the body of Christ, as the church. A couple of observations as we wrap up. The first is this, is that forgiveness has been shared with us to share with others. It's not been shared with us to, to soak on and, and, and relish in and ignore those around us that have hurt us, that need, to be, that need, that need our forgiveness. It's been, we've been forgiven to share with others. We've, we have freely received that and need to freely give that to others. Final thing, though, is this. We can't get there holding on to grievances. We can't get to a place, place of forgiveness holding on to grief holding on to the ammunition to come against that person who's hurt us. Um, we got to learn to let go. And as I said earlier, you say, Tim, you don't know how deeply I've been hurt. No, I don't. But I know how deeply you've been forgiven. Let me ask you this. If it's hard for you to let go, what have you gained by hanging on to it? How are you better for hanging on to hurt? How are you better for hanging on to, to, to something that's harmed your, your walk and your witness? How are you better for saying, they're going to pay? One of these days, they're going to pay. How are you better for that? You're not. He's calling us here in this text to let go of that and to share forgiveness. Because they're worthy? No, not because they're worthy. Because he loves us and has forgiven us. He calls us to love them. And forgive them to those around us. He's speaking to Corinth about the church at Corinth. But whether that is Crosspoint or whether that is some, some, some other arena of your life, we're all called as believers to forgive those who have hurt us and to move on and let that go. Say, I need help with that. 
Yeah, I do too. All of us do. It's one of the great works of the Holy Spirit is to remind us to, to be forgivers, to let things go. Let's pray. Father, today, um, this is hard truth. In fact, there's a lot of hard truth in Scripture that we have to adjust to because it's not natural for us. It's not natural for us to be forgivers. It's not natural for us to, to share with others what's been shared with us. It's natural for us to hang on to that and, and to, to watch for our own backs and to cover our own, our own bases. So as we know that to be true, would you help us to learn to lay those things down? Give us the courage to be more vulnerable than we're often willing to be, to be more forgiving than we're ever willing to be, to be more loving than it's easier to be. You call us in, in your word today to, to be and do those things because of what we read in verse uh, in First Corinthians 13, that love keeps no record of wrongs. It lets, it lets the wrong go. It forgives because we have been forgiven. And as you continue to forgive us, help us to not only cherish that, but to share it, to be grateful for it, but to walk it out in our lives and forgive others around us. They're, they'll be better for it. The body will be better for it. The kingdom will be better for it. And we'll be better for it. If we can learn to do that in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.